In May of 1980, Mount St. Helens in southwestern Washington state erupted in one of the most powerful volcanic explosions ever recorded in North America. Imagine this, the mountain itself lost 1,300 feet of elevation that day, and it gained a new crater a mile and a half wide. Its vertical eruption formed a column of gas and ashes that rose some 16 miles into the sky, carrying fragments of that eruption as far east as central Montana. Darkness even covered the skies in Spokane, Washington, 250 miles away. And then there was a blanket of debris that devastated the mountain and all of its surroundings for miles, crushing, burning, killing, and coating everything in hot ash. It was complete devastation. Everyone assumed that this scar upon the earth would remain for at least a hundred years. I mean, that yes, life would slowly return to this death zone, but only after a long period of time, probably over several human generations. But against everyone's predictions, only 25 years later, the landscape greened up. The mountainsides are now covered with lush grasses, critters scamper from here to there, streams are flowing again with fresh water. Yes, it will take a few more decades for the vegetation to return to something like old-growth forest, but still, the transformation is quite remarkable. What happened? Why did life come back with such vigor and so quickly? Well, what scientists know now but didn't understand then is that when the mountain blasted ash and rock across the landscape, there were these tiny spaces that were hidden and sheltered from that hot ash. A patch of wildflowers growing in a crevice, a small bed of moss hiding beneath a boulder, a a deer fern sprouting under a rotten log. These little pockets of safety are called refugia. That's a, a biological term that refers to tiny habitats where in times of crisis, Components of biodiversity retreat to, persist in, and then expand from. Refugia. Places where life endures in times of crisis. Places in which life is renewed and from where new life emerges. And it was because of these refugia that the landscape around Mount St. Helens was transformed so unexpectedly. My friends, we too are living in a time of crisis. A thick blanket of debris and ash is devastating our world. God's good creation is corrupted every day by greed and and violence and death. Men of seemingly goodwill turn their backs on the weak and the vulnerable. Christians in mass are being seduced by nationalism and wealth and power, deep darkness covers our world. But in the midst of such devastation, in the midst of such despair, there are these little pockets of hope 
scattered across the landscape. Refugia, something not always noticed. These tiny thickets of life, of renewed life, regenerating the land, crying out together with one voice, Alleluia, Christ is risen. What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with our world's dire situation? With the present darkness that covers this land? Absolutely everything. For it is the resurrection of Jesus that makes possible refugia. Pockets of new creation in a world covered in dust and ashes. Now I realize this might not be the kind of Easter message with which you're most familiar. Which is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that the message of Easter has too often taken another route. Taken a more escapist tone. You've surely heard this before. Christ is risen, therefore one day we too get to escape this nasty place and go to heaven when we die. My friends, that is not the message of Easter. Ironically, the message of Easter is quite the opposite. Proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus is not to announce a way out of this world, it is to announce the remaking of this world. It is to announce New creation. That's what resurrection is all about. When Jesus was raised from the dead, his fleshly body wasn't left there in the tomb so that his soul could rise and go to heaven. No. The life of heaven came down into that tomb and infused his physical body with new life. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the remaking of one little patch of this world so as to lay the groundwork for refugia. In fact, there's this phrase in Scripture that is used to emphasize this point, a a phrase I've already used, the phrase new creation. God's broken and, yes, physical world being remade and made New, not, not an escape to heaven, but the reuniting of heaven and earth itself together into a new, that is, renewed creation. When we turn to our gospel story today from John, we catch a glimpse of this reality. Uh, there are clues shouting out from this passage saying, new creation is here, if we could just see it. First of all, notice how John begins this story. He writes, early on the first day of the week. A seemingly insignificant detail. But it's interesting to note that this same phrase is also used to introduce John's second resurrection story later in the chapter in verse 19 when Jesus appears in the upper room. John also introduces this story not just by saying, Well, when it was evening on that day, which he does say, but he can't stop there. He has to say more. The evening of what day? Well, John goes on to clarify, and he says it again, the first day of the week. It's subtle, but it's clear. Back in Genesis, the first day of the week is the day God began his work of creation. And now, with the resurrection of Jesus, it's the first day once more. It's the first day of a new week. God's work of recreation has begun. 
You see, we have to get past this idea that the resurrection of Jesus is just some highly peculiar event within our present world. I mean, yes, it is a highly peculiar event, but it is chiefly a prototype event. It is the event that breaks the ground for more, for more new creation, refugia. Then if you look again, there's another new creation clue in our gospel story worth pointing out. You may have noticed it. You may have noticed how Mary doesn't recognize the risen Jesus at first, but supposes him to be the gardener. Isn't that interesting? That is exactly the right mistake for her to make. Because unbeknown to her, Mary does indeed now find herself in a garden, a new sort of Garden of Eden. And like Adam, Jesus is charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. This Jesus is the second Adam. For he has come to uproot the thorns and thistles and to plant myrtle and cypress instead as Isaiah promised long ago in his vision of a new creation that results from, remember, the word of God coming down from heaven like rain or snow to renew the earth. You see, John began his gospel by saying that all things were made through the word. But now at the end of the gospel, he is saying that all things are being remade through this same word. This is the message of Easter, my friends, that new creation is here, that the resurrection of Jesus makes possible refugia, pockets of new creation in a world covered in dust and ashes. I know it may sound a bit morbid, but there is a sense in which I really enjoy funerals. Let me clarify, I enjoy Anglican funerals. Father Ross Guthrie, who used to be on staff here, liked to say, it doesn't matter how you come into the world, but you want to go out, an Anglican. (laughs) Well, that's because the Anglican burial service, the funeral service, is so beautiful and compelling. And the reason for this is that every Anglican funeral is an Easter service, even if it's smack dab in the middle of Lent. We just had one of those here at All Saints, a funeral service in Lent for our beloved brother, Bill Ashley. And during this funeral, yes, we grieved the loss of a loved one, and we spoke of Bill now being in the presence of the Lord, but but neither of these is the main point of the service. The main point of the service is this. Let me just read from the burial service itself. Ensure and certain hope of the resurrection through our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our perishable body, that it may be like his own glorious body. That's weird stuff, isn't it? I mean, no wonder preachers preachers like to tone this language down during funerals, make it sound a bit more palatable for our day and age. Let's Let's not make a fuss about this body in the coffin and this notion of it being somehow one day remade, right? That's that's weird. No, instead, let's talk about one soul living with God in heaven for all eternity. That's, That's much more socially acceptable. Except, if you do that, you lose Easter altogether. You lose the hope of new creation. And our Old Testament passage this morning from Isaiah won't let you do that. 
Thus says the Lord, I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. And the word new here, by the way, doesn't mean brand new. It means renewed. And so be glad and rejoice, the Lord says, in what I am creating again. And then the same language is used at the end of the biblical story, right? In Revelation 21. There, the picture we're given of the end point of history is not the destruction of the earth while the souls of the faithful float off to heaven. No, no, what we see is the heavenly city coming down to earth and God saying, look here, behold, I am making all things new. So that John, the author of Revelation, when he sees this happening, he says, ah, this is what Isaiah was writing about. This is what the bodily resurrection of Jesus was anticipating. This is the new heaven and the new earth, he writes. New creation. That's why the early Christians, they did not believe in progress. They did not think that the world was slowly getting better and better under its own steam like the lie modernism tries to sell us. No, they knew only too well that God had to do something fresh within this world to put this world to right. But neither did they believe that the world was getting worse and worse so that their task was, you know, let's abandon ship as if the world was a sinking Titanic and that being rescued off the boat was one's only hope. Again, may it never be. The early Christians held a quite different and radical view. They believed that one day God was going to do for the whole cosmos what he had done for Jesus on Easter. That one day, the entire ocean liner, if you will, the massive Titanic will rise from the waters of chaos and be fully restored. You see, they believed in new creation. This is why Jesus is often referred to in the New Testament as the first fruits of new creation sometimes referred to as the first fruits from the dead because his resurrection was never thought to be an isolated incident. But the beginning of the resurrection that we all affirm every time we recite the Apostles' Creed, when we say, I believe in the resurrection of what? The body? Whose body? This body to be raised for new creation. In fact, this is great, the hope of new creation was so alive in the minds of the early church that they could even begin to speak of it as if it was already here. For if anyone is in Christ, Paul writes, behold, there it is, new creation. It's here. That's how the early church viewed themselves as pockets of God's new creation coming to bloom on earth. Refugia. And as his new creation, as we gather together around word and sacrament, as we participate in the life of God through our shared practices of of prayer and teaching, fellowship and breaking of bread, our dry and barren landscape greens up. These outposts of new creation unleashing God's healing and renewal for a world that is scarred and charred. My friends, this is what we're doing here at All Saints. We are not a social club. We are not a vendor of religious goods and services for you and your family to enjoy at your leisure. We are not something to check off your list so that you can be considered a good Christian person. No, 
We are refugia, a place where life endures in times of crisis, a place in which life is renewed and from where new life emerges, a place, as we so often like to say here, where we share in the life of God for the life of the world. And just as Jesus calls Mary by name and her eyes are open to this brand new world around her, so too Jesus is calling your name, inviting you to deepen your life in this garden, in this community, to be renewed by the Spirit's presence among us, and then to be sent out into the desolate landscape of our world as a foretaste of new creation. This is what the message of Easter is all about. This is what our opening acclamation points to. Alleluia, Christ is risen, and with him rises a whole new world, a refugia resurrection. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Pour out your Spirit upon this body that we might be a resurrection people, a refugia for the sake of the world. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.